Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Industry Focus. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, January 17th, and we're talking social media. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's Evan New. Evan, what's going on, man? Not too much. Going to go gamble in the mountains again this weekend to head up to the casino. <laughs> Gambling in the mountains sounds like this like really romantic idea. It kind of conjures up the riverboat gambler uh, motif. Yeah, except there's not really a, a great view. It's just like a cluster of casinos in the middle of the mountains, but it's not like a particularly scenic part of the mountains. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a little, little uh, what's the word, a little like niche of just gambling. <laughs> what, what's your go-to game there, Evan? Uh, my wife likes to play craps, and I, I play poker. I used to play tons of poker back when I was younger, but so now I, I don't play as much anymore. But you know, it's always been kind of one of my big hobbies. That lines up with everything that I know about you. You're you're, <laughs> you're a deeply analytical person, and you like some action. That that totally makes sense to me. Um, the the reason I'm having you on, Evan, is you are one of our like, go-to folks for all things social media, and we have some data from eMarketer on the social media landscape, and some data from App Annie to authorities on what's going on, mostly in digital trends, but specifically in social media. And I don't want to bury the lead too much here. The headline, at least if you're looking at the U.S. markets for what we're seeing from this report, is that Pinterest passed Snapchat to become the third largest social media network in the United States. Maybe not a headline that people were expecting to see. Right. So, you know, these are third-party estimates. So, um, uh, right now, eMarket estimates that Pinterest has around 82.4 million users in the U.S. and Snap has around 80.2 million. So, whereas in, in comparison in 2018, uh, Snap was a little bit, a tiny bit higher than Pinterest, but now that's that's shifted a little bit so that Pinterest is now number three. Of course, Facebook's number one, Twitter's number two. And I think we need to remind ourselves that we are looking at U.S. figures here. Um, everyone kind of slices things a little bit differently. Some companies state things on a North America basis. Some state things on a U.S. basis. We lean on some of these third-party estimates just to get a sense of what's going on, specifically in the United States, because the U.S. is the most lucrative market if you're looking at ad-based businesses. And that really just kind of goes in lockstep with consumer spending and available money. Uh, if you look at Snap, for example, the North American revenue per user is 3 X what they make per user in Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, within that, the United States is a very large part. So that's why we're specifically honing in on this market. Right. And it's also kind of interesting to note because, you know, Snap saw a pretty big resurgence in user growth throughout all of 2019, which is kind of like the big narrative for Snap uh, last year and really kind of helped drive some of the stock's gains. Uh, but most, almost all of that user growth is really coming from emerging markets uh, like India and other, these other kind of international regions where Android is the dominant mobile platform. And Snapchat put out a, a revamped version of the Android app 
Uh, so that's been really driving growth. But as far as you know, back in the U.S. North America, you know, that's pretty mature. They're not really growing there. So their official numbers that North American users are about 84 million, which also is also kind of another way of saying it's not that popular in Canada. They only have you know less than four million users there. And the reason we're specifically looking at these platforms and the United States is. On a surface level for both of them, you look at their user counts and you say, well, theoretically, there's a lot of room for them to grow if they can gain traction outside of their core markets in the US. You know, I think when you look at Pinterest, it is primarily a female dominated platform. I think about 70 to 75% of their regular users are women. Um, and you look at Snapchat and primarily it slants younger. You know, they're very popular with that like 15 to 25 market. The trouble for them has been breaking out of that younger market and getting into, you know, the kind of older millennials and some of the baby boomers where you can really start to see some some powerful growth in your user numbers. So, with both of these businesses, there's the possibility of getting quite a bit larger and any inclination that they are doing so is something that we're going to be paying attention to. Right. I mean, all these companies, their their first goal is always just to build the user base and then kind of worry about the money later. So, you know, that's why these user numbers are always so important when it comes to the social media companies. So Pinterest becoming number three is actually pretty meaningful in that in that sense. Yeah, and, and part of the narrative for them was we are going to get more men on the platform um, because that's a big growth opportunity for us. And uh, you know, I mean, there's nothing gendered about the platform. It's it's very DIY oriented. There's a lot of like really awesome content on there. I think they just need to convince people to give them a shot. They're kind of an older social media brand. Um, and what what I think they really benefited from, if you look back over the last couple quarters, is going public. We talk about going public in in a lot of different ways. How it's it's a capital raising event. It's a liquidity event. I think in Pinterest's case, it was kind of a reminder that this platform still exists. You know, it really reinvigorated user growth. For them, yeah, and and I'll be honest, I don't follow Pinterest too closely, but I am. It is interesting how it doesn't seem to be that popular among men, like you mentioned, because it's you know at the end of the day, it's just really a, a really highly visual platform, which is kind of like Instagram, right? And Instagram is obviously super popular among lots of demographics. So I'm not. I'm kind of curious of what what the difference is. Like, why is it that Instagram is still so popular among everyone, whereas Pinterest is still kind of limited to to women, like you mentioned. We haven't seen that growth story materialize where they've been able to fully break out of uh, that market and appeal a little bit more to the male demographic. I think it's something that's kind of similar to what Lululemon is trying to do. Um, there's kind of a nice parallel there where their main market is is female, but they can possibly break out of that down the road. Um, they've enjoyed some nice user growth, like I mentioned, around the time that they went public, and they were actually able to re-accelerate some of the user growth that they were seeing a lot of that was coming from the rest of the world, though they were seeing some user growth in the United States as well. It's a more mature market for them there. Evan, you mentioned that Snap was able to reinvigorate a little bit with the redesign of its app and kind of building out its functionality and its performance for Android. Um, there are some other growth markets for them, though. Right. So App Annie, which is a mobile analytics company, also came out with a report this week for the state of mobile 2020. A lot of data there will touch on that later on. Uh, but one thing that I did notice was that Snap was actually the number one breakout app in terms of uh, user growth on both iOS and Google Play in both Japan and South Korea. And those aren't like emerging markets like we've talked about before. Like, you know, they're definitely growing quite a bit in like places like India. But uh, Japan and South Korea, that was kind of a, a surprising uh, number for me since that I don't know that they've been all that successful there. Those aren't huge markets in terms of population, but you know they are still showing that they can gain, gain traction in other areas. 
And that's kind of all Snap the platform. I think it's worth also looking at Snap the business briefly. Um, while they have experienced some slowdown in their user growth, um, and they've found some stimulus for that recently, some of the core business stuff for Snap is actually looking pretty good. You know, shares have shot up over the last two years or so. Um, they kind of found bottom, and then were able to deploy um, some new ad technology. This rollout with their new platform, bringing in some users. A lot of that looks really great. They've been able to grow their revenue 50% year over year in the most recent quarter, which was an acceleration. The thing that I am kind of most impressed with with this business at this point, though, is they've expanded their gross margins to about 50%. And that was something that we kind of long worried about with them. Right, particularly with their innovative, uh, you know, maybe not innovative, but unique approach to infrastructure, just completely outsourcing it all to third-party cloud platforms like Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud. Uh, but but they they have you know to their credit they have done a good job in uh, renegotiating those contracts, you know, making sure the costs aren't eating up all of the business to the point where yeah margins are actually expanding. And that's on the gross margin side. Of course, if you look at how their actual bottom line looks, they are still losing money. And, and the big reason for that is they're selling general administrative expenses, their R&D spend. Each of those line items are about the company's gross profit. So, you know, it doesn't really matter how much margins improve if you're spending that much. And they have ambitions of doing a lot of AR-related things. They're still interested in consumer hardware. Um, that's going to drain any of the money that you have coming in on the top line and not really leave you with too much on the bottom line. Right. I mean, I've been pretty hard on Snap over the years, but I have to admit that you know the the top line numbers they've been putting up over the past year have been pretty solid. Uh, I mean, to be clear, I still think their corporate governance is a joke, and I would never touch the stock. But you know, I do feel like I owe them some credit after yeah. being so hard on them. <laughs> I think it's really hard to argue with that growth rate that they've posted. I mean, fifty percent is nothing to sneeze at when you consider how mature they are. A big part of that is them moving to programmatic advertising. Um, but but what we're seeing with them is kind of what you saw with Twitter a couple years ago, where instead of it becoming a massive growth story with the user base, the company had to start making money and really optimizing for the user base that it had. And, and that's kind of the decision that all these platforms have to make once they reach maturity. Right, exactly. And that's what they're doing in the U.S. while they're trying to grow the international users. And then you know later on, they'll try to make more money on the international front. But right now, you know, North America users are pretty stable, but they're actually starting to monetize them better with some of these improvements on the ad side, like the programmatic stuff, the self-serve platform. Uh, but yeah, they're 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 coming around. All right, we're going to come back and talk about some other stuff going on in the social media landscape. But before we do, a quick word from our sponsor, LinkedIn. The new year is about growth and change. I am trying to cut down on my grocery spending. Listeners, I'm sure that you have goals of your own. If you are a business owner looking to grow your business, LinkedIn can help you find the right hires that set you up for a strong year. When people think jobs, they think LinkedIn. It's the go-to spot for me when it comes to professional connections and making sure that I'm keeping in touch with some of my old colleagues. It only makes sense that LinkedIn jobs would be the place that employers should turn to when it comes to hiring. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post is seen by the people you want to hire people with the skills, qualifications, and other interests that will help your business grow. It's no wonder that a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn and why companies rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. 
Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. Get $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash fool. That's linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Um, all right, Evan, we're, we're coming back to the second half of the show. And in the ad read, I mentioned that my New Year's resolution is to spend a little bit on groceries. I never asked you, what is your New Year's resolution? Uh, we don't do anything super formal and nothing exciting. It's just it's pretty generic stuff for us. I mean, we want to get in better shape, want to exercise more. So we're thinking about getting like a treadmill or, you know, we're I'm kind of lazy, so I don't make it to the gym very, <laughs> very often. <laughs> but, you know, other than that, you know, pay down some debt, kind of improve some of our house finances, you know, work on that front a little bit. So pretty, pretty generic stuff. Well, that's all good stuff to be thinking about in the new year. Um, some people are also focused on maybe reducing some of the screen time, uh, spending a little bit less time on their phones. As it turns out, looking at some of the data releases that we have, uh, people are only spending more time on their phones, Evan. <laughs> the app Annie release on mobile is showing that kind of no matter where you look, no matter the geography, people are spending more time on mobile. Right. I mean, the mobile revolution has been, you know, it's, you know, we're going on you know, what year 12 or 13 here since kind of the first iPhone kicked off everything, but it's still booming. I mean, people are still loving their phones. People are changing how they use their phones. People are starting to put more personal finance stuff on their phones, get more health data. You know, it, it's, you know, the revolution's not over. <laughs> I think I saw in this app annual report that in the United States, uh, average usage per day is up about 10%, uh, which sounds impressive. And then you look at some of the other geographies and it's even bigger. Um, I think the average number is about three hours per day in the United States. But if you look at some of the developing markets, uh, they dwarf that. Right. So I think Indonesia and China, uh, some of those emerging markets in Asia, uh, people are spending, you know, around four hours a day. A lot of users in those countries are very mobile-centric in the sense that you know, their first internet-connected device might have been a smartphone, and that might still be their primary computing device. So that's a lot of you know why mobile device usage in these emerging markets is so high and, and is really important and pretty particularly big opportunity for companies that are you know mobile-dominant. And that's why I like looking at these kinds of reports is we have our own habits, we have our own biases here in the United States uh, and in North America, and I think it's really good if we can step outside of them and kind of get a bigger picture look at what's going on. Um, if you do that and you start looking at not just the habits, but also the platforms that people are spending more time on, first half of the show, we talked a little bit about Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Snap. The name that we left out that I think is kind of the it name in social media right now is TikTok. Right. TikTok is just exploding. I mean, and for people that aren't as familiar with it, it's basically a short form video app. Um, it merged with Musical.ly uh, a year or two ago, and it's owned by ByteDance, which is a Chinese company. But yeah, it's pretty comparable to Vine, which was a, a startup that many years ago Twitter had acquired that would show these like six second looped videos. But it's just blowing up among, particularly very, very specifically among younger demographics, not unlike Snapchat. But for example, I have an 11 year old daughter, and all of her friends at her school, like they're all on it. She used to be on it, but she got off of it. Uh, in part because we talked to her about some of the concerns about social media, uh, since obviously I'm pretty aware of all the kind of risks when it comes <laughs> to younger people getting <laughs> their minds warped by social media. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just everywhere, particularly among younger kids. To put some numbers to what it looks like globally, uh, global time spent in TikTok grew 210% year over year in 2019 to over 68 billion hours. And that's a mix of people spending more time on the platform and them 
growing their user base and really becoming kind of a global phenomenon, I think, in 2019. Um, this is maybe the year that it becomes more mainstream. I think 2019 was when it started to bloom a little bit, and 2020 might become the year of TikTok. Um, for the most part, you know, you mentioned it's a Chinese company. A lot of the use, a lot of the users are in China. Eight out of every 10 minutes uh, spent on TikTok were users in China. But it's not limited to that geography. You look at other regions, and it was considered the breakout app of 2019. Right. In India and Canada, it was number one. In the US and UK, it was number two. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it has historically been pretty concentrated in China, which has also presented some, you know, regulators and lawmakers have some security concerns around all this time being spent in user data going to basically a Chinese company. Uh, so there are some concerns there, but uh, I don't think users are, I mean, obviously that's not slowing down their user growth. We're, we're talking about TikTok here and it is, you know, not something that is immediately investable for people um, just because it's it's not available. It's not, it's not on the, the public markets in that sense. Um, but we need to talk about it because when you think about the social media landscape and the amount of time that people are spending on mobile what we're really doing is spending time on entertainment. And while there's no zero sum to having these different apps on your phone, there is a zero sum game to how you spend your time. And so if people find value in one platform, what you tend to see is that they start spending less and less time on the others. Um, it seems like TikTok is the big existential threat to the likes of Facebook and maybe Instagram in particular. Right. And, you know, Facebook has really kind of been dismissing. TikTok and the threat that it represents uh, for the most part, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has basically argued that TikTok's growth is very dependent on them spending heavily on ads promotions to, to get people to install the app and kind of raise awareness of the platform. And he's suggested that, you know, if they, if they stop spending on ads, then their user growth will suffer. And there is some third party data that, that kind of supports that notion. But at the same time, I think that's also oversimplifying it because, you know, what, now that they have grown to this critical mass, they can probably pull back on their ad spending a little bit and turn towards monetizing their existing user base. I mean, they have over a billion users worldwide. Uh, we don't give detailed breakdowns because they're, you know, a privately held company. But I mean, the point is that like they are so big at this point that they don't they're starting to need less of that promotional activity to kind of bring users in. So I, I think it's kind of silly to, to dismiss them. But, you know, Facebook has tried to copy them, mostly unsuccessfully um, to date. But And also on top of that, due to a lot of these geopolitical factors, this is one competitor that Facebook can't just go out and buy like they've done in the past. So they're going to really have to compete. And their, their myth, their main way to compete has always been to copy. To your point, Evan, about the the financial implications there. I mean, if you look at any software as a service company that's early stage or even mid stage, they're spending a lot of money on marketing to try to build things out because they have a scalable business that down the road at scale will wind up printing money for them. This is also a digital business that they're able to roll ads into. And you have to think that as it gets bigger and bigger, a lot of those unit economics start to take over for them. Um, so, so I don't really have a problem with a company like that spending aggressively if the idea is that eventually we'll scale, we'll ramp that spend down, especially when you consider the fact that the network effect is so strong for these types of businesses. So you don't need to spend to acquire every single user in a geography. You can spend to acquire some, particularly influencers and tastemakers, and once they're there, they attract a lot of other people to the platform. 
Right, exactly. And it's also kind of ironic because Mark Zuckerberg has also paid lavishly for some of his platforms. And he paid $20 billion for WhatsApp. <laughs> so it's like and him criticizing TikTok for you know, basically spending money to kind of get big is kind of, uh, kind of ironic and maybe a little hypocritical. So TikTok is certainly the story for 2019, 2020. Um, we talked about how these are third-party estimates, and that's what we're looking at for a lot of this stuff. Evan, we'll have a firmer sense of the trajectory for the likes of Pinterest and Snap. Both of them are due to put out some quarterly updates soon. And this is, of course, a space that we love to watch. Um, anything else before we uh, wrap up and talk about some of the listener fun stuff for the show? Uh, last data point I think that's important here is in the App Annie report. Uh, they also estimate that mobile ad spending is expected to jump this year by over 25% to $240 billion. And so all these social media apps that we've been talking about, they're all predominantly monetized with advertising. So good news here is there's plenty more money coming into the mobile ad spending market. Yeah. If you look at almost any estimate of where ad dollars are going, it's going to digital ads or streaming ads uh, that wind up being popped into video or audio because the control and the targeting is just so much stronger. The tailwinds there aren't going away. You know, Google's built a really successful business on that. Facebook's built a wildly successful business on it. Others are taking note. And I think marketers really like the fact that they can get a little bit more granular with the audiences that they're reaching. Yeah, it's a, it's a big uh, big opportunity out there, and it's, I think it's over half of the entire mobile economy, just advertising, so that's where the money's at. <laughs> All right, where the money at? Uh, that's, a, that's a throwback to the pre-industry-focused days. Uh, that was the old name of this show uh, a couple years back. So folks that have been following us for a while might uh, might remember that. And for folks that are fairly new to the show, maybe haven't followed along that long, um, anytime someone leaves us a five-star review over in iTunes, I check it out and make sure to give them a shout-out on the show. We have a couple new ones coming in this week. Uh, Finn Howie writes, great insight and expertise, can't get enough. Thanks, that's awesome. That, that kind of makes my day right there. Um, and then we have Mike from Atlanta reaching out. Happy New Year to the entire team at Industry Focus. Just want to say I'm an everyday listener, and I think the in-depth conversations had on Industry Focus have really helped me develop my own personal portfolio in a way I feel comfortably weighted between industries. I would love an episode on a deep dive into the health insurance industry. I see a lot of discussion on biotech, biopharma, but not so much on the insurance side. And then he goes in a little bit more specifically on some of the stuff that he wants. And Mike, thank you for the suggestion. I think we will hit that at some point. We lost our healthcare host, Shannon Jones. Um, she is doing some more of our premium programming at The Fool, but she's available to hop back on some episodes. And we also have Todd Campbell, who's an excellent healthcare analyst. The beauty of this new Wildcard Wednesday format is that we can throw anything we want on there. So we can do some cool S1 stuff like we did this week with Casper. And then we can also hop back and do some healthcare stuff and just kind of enjoy the flexibility that comes with that episode. Love the suggestion, and we'll make sure that we'll get it into the mix. Evan, you are not my guy for healthcare, but you are my guy when it comes to tech and social media. Thanks for hopping on today's show. Thanks for having me. Of course. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more stuff, not necessarily podcast stuff, but really awesome beginner investing content and breakdowns of how companies make money, head over to YouTube. We've got an awesome channel set up there with tons of supplemental information. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. It's Friday, so we're going to be playing things out with our new Friday favorite, Checks and Balances by full-time Fool Burke and Grafia. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. 
I've got a million dollars It's hypothetical Large amount in my bank account It's parenthetical The money I'm made of is theoretical So in theory I've got it good My fat wallet is on a diet My balance sheet is lopsided My income statement is keeping silent But let's keep one thing understood I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money Or do you do it for love My cold hard cash Is soft and tropical My deep pockets Are merely topical I hit the big time It was microscopical But don't you get it I am no fool I own a bank I call him Piggy Brought home the bacon He got a little wiggy Cracked him open What a pity His inner life was pitiful I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money Or do you do it for love I know a cheapskate always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser is the miser Always lives in misery I'm cashing in on triple coupons Soup kitchen's calling, saying the soup's on I sing for my supper and get my groove on I still know how to have fun I need checks, I need balances Life's a mess, with financial challenges Checks and balances, when things get tough Do you do it for money, or do you do it for love? Always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser Is the miser Always lives in misery I own a bank I call him Piggy Brought home the bacon He got a little wiggy Cracked him open What a pity His inner life was pitiful I need checks I need balances, life's a mess With financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? Do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love?